Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Somebody sends them a memo what to say. But if they were honest, our country would be in such great shape. Amazing. But they're not. It's no coincidence they indicted me the very same day it was revealed that the FBI hid explosive evidence that Joe Biden took a $5 million illegal bribe from Ukraine. Now, this is done. I haven't read anything about it. This would have been the biggest story in history 10 years ago. Walter Cronkite would have reported it, and he was on the liberal side, to put it mildly, but he would have made this the biggest story. Walter Cronkite wasn't alive 10 years ago, but that isn't what the president means. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What is going on, everybody? 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. The indictment is out. 37 counts there in the indictment that was unsealed on Friday. Having classified documents, including, quote, information regarding defense and weapons capability of both the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. You know, I I don't change in the light of circumstances in in some kind of willy-nilly fashion. There has to be data that says, well, your view, Tony, has to be changed. I don't change from my prior conversations. There's no reason for Trump to have this stuff. There's no reason for Biden to have this stuff. There's no reason for Mike Pence to have this stuff. There's no reason for anybody to have this stuff outside of the work that they do for the country. None. And I'm bothered by the fact that, first of all, so many things are classified. But secondly, people just take stuff and they have stuff. No, I don't like it. We're not getting into whether or not this is an attack on Trump. It isn't. I mentioned Biden. I mentioned Pence. I don't like it. I find it wrong. I have a standard. What can I say? I'm good like that. I'm actually surprised when people don't have this standard. I find it off-putting. The classified information stays where it belongs, in places that it can't be accessed by other people. And Mar-a-Lago isn't that place. And it wasn't all behind the lock. It was being moved around. It was being shuffled. Not safe. Just like Joe Biden's garage is not safe. Is someone going to tell us that Joe Biden's garage is safe? Joe Biden's garage is not safe. What are you all, insane? Offices in D.C. are safe? Any place that Hunter Biden has access to is not safe by definition. The only way it would be safe is if Hunter Biden walked into a theme song. Every time Hunter Biden walks into a room, every time he's had a long night of doing whatever illicit things he does, he's trying to sneak into the garage so he can just sleep it off right next to the Corvette and the door goes creak. Hunter, is that you? Dang it, you're supposed to be in bed. That's that's how it would go. 
these materials don't belong in someone's house. It's as simple as that. It's a standard. So am I bothered by Trump having him? You bet your ass I am. It's wrong. The whole conversation whether or not Trump can declassify anything he wants, I have no objection to. I have no argument against. I believe that to be true. Donald Trump or any president can declassify anything they choose, anytime they choose, just by doing it. So there's this big talk about the, this this recording. There's a recording that has Trump saying to, to somebody, you know, this is classified. I shouldn't even be showing you this, but look at this. Look right here. If he's president and he shows Hunter, let's say Donald Trump is is minding his own business in, in the Oval Office. All of a sudden he hears the window open and he looks over. One, two, three, four, And Hunter's like, oh, man, I thought my dad still worked here. And, and, and you know, however that, that went down. Um, and, and Trump said, well, listen, while you're here, look at this. It's declassified. It's declassified. That's fact. I give it, I, I, I don't disagree. I 100% agree, and I'm willing to argue it publicly. I said I don't like him having the documents, Period. In my conversation with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, we dug into is the having of these documents, sharing of a possible conversation, moving them around, is, is, is that proof of it being damning? Because I look at the indictment, I'm like, pretty damning indictment. He's got an interesting take on it. I want to share it, share it with you. And of course, there is the conversation about why in the world are we focused on the indictment? Shouldn't the conversation be, look at what this federal government just did. Seven years of going after Trump and going after Trump and going after Trump. Never stopping, never resting, never quitting, never sleeping. Not caring whether or not they had anything in mind. Just keep searching till you can find something. Very un-American way to do things. And I, and I argue clearly that these people are un-American. They, they don't actually believe in the America you and I believe in. And I'm, I'll dig into that some more. You have every right to be disgusted, disgusted by what has happened here. You can also do two things at one time. You can think that Donald Trump is wrong for having this stuff. You could think he's wrong for moving this stuff if you believe he moved it. You could think he's wrong for getting his valet, Walt Nauta. N-A-U-T-A, to help move boxes, lying to the FBI, maybe lying to his lawyers and hoping that his lawyers would destroy uh, these classified information. Absolutely, you can be disgusted by it and equally be disgusted by the idea that we have a deep state. It's fact. We're not debating if the left wants to laugh, let them. Of course we have a deep state. If some uh, progressive, some Democrat wants to tell me, oh, Tony, you're wrong. Everybody who's rational knows we have a deep state. Every rational broker knows that we do. We have people inside government who are seemingly untouchable because they don't get fired, working aggressively to ensure that those they disagree with don't have an opportunity. You went after Trump for years on Russia, Russia, Russia. There was nothing there. 
Don't ask me how Adam Schiff still has a committee assignment. And then you moved this, and then you did that, and then you looked over here, and then you pushed over there. If you don't see that as the issue, the problem, the absolute issue, you're out of your damn head. Did Trump do himself in in this? Well, you listen to people like Jonathan Turley, George Washington University law professor, and he'll tell you the truth. Oh, yeah, this is Trump doing it to himself, and it's pretty ugly stuff. Yeah, Shannon, the problem is that he's got to run the table. He's 76 years old. All the government has to do is stick the landing on one count, and he could have a terminal sentence. Uh, You're talking about crimes that have a 10 or 20 year period as a maximum. The evidence here is quite strong. Now, we haven't heard their other side. Generally, these indictments are a lot stronger on the day they're issued Mm -hmm. than the next day. So they may be able to knock down some of these issues. But some of this evidence is coming from his former counsel. And these are very damaging uh, statements that have made against him. It may be hard to move those. The fact is, Both things may be true. Yes, the Department of Justice may have been out to get him, but he made it easy. I mean, if if you look at what is being described in this indictment, confronted with someone that he felt was trying to get him, he couldn't have made it more easy for them to do so. So maybe he did. But it doesn't take away from the fact that what's been ha- what's happening to Trump, what they're doing to Trump is disgusting and is not an American way of doing anything. This is not about the rule of law. This is about the rule of get him. And the people who think that this is acceptable while Hillary, Hillary Clinton is not prosecuted, those are amongst the worst people out there. Let us lay down our marker. Let us state the facts. If you think Hillary Clinton for destroying an email server that she purposefully set up outside the purview and the prying eyes of congressional oversight that she engaged bleach bit with to destroy uh, social uh, phones that she set out to destroy. She mocked you for asking questions. If you think she should not be prosecuted, but Trump should, you're not a serious person. And I want to say this in the most personal way possible. I want people to know that I'm talking about them directly. People in their cars, people in their home offices, people listening to this on podcast. I want you to know that it's personal. Because at this stage of the game, how could it not be? If you will accept the idea that Trump should be prosecuted, but Hillary Clinton shouldn't, you're not an American. You've given up that. You're an idolater. You're an authoritarian. You believe in power, not in the law. You believe in the rule of man. You say to people who still support Trump, how can you support that support that disgusting, despicable man? Do you think yourself? Do they think themselves as good and decent, kind and 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 loving people of the law? How could you possibly think of yourselves as people of the law? How could you possibly look another American in the eye and say, "Oh yes, Trust our government. Trust our institutions. 
Trust the people who run them. They know what's best. It can't be done. It can't be done without a whole lot of lying. It can't be done without a whole lot of hate. And I want to be clear that the people who will say, let's get Trump by every means necessary, go at him, throw him in jail, death penalty. I mean, they're throwing everything. I'll get into that as well. The people who will say that and then will look at Hillary and what she's done and go, eh. who will look at the allegations regarding Joe Biden, the current president, and bribery and these clearly uh, understood and valued sources claiming that this happened regarding a Burisma executive. Never mind everything with Hunter Biden and the laptop and Burisma and China and money laundering and access. And go, eh. Understand they say that because they absolutely do hate you. These aren't good, kind, decent, loving people. This is what hate looks like. This is how it manifests. This is how the bigotry happens. They believe they know better than you. They believe they are smarter than you. They, are, they believe they're more important than you. And they believe that they should be allowed to have dominion over you. You somehow are the threat to democracy. But they can pick and choose who gets prosecuted. Son of a gun. How else to say it? Oh, I, I could say it otherwise, but I am on radio. I mean, this is not Vietnam. There are rules. It's hate. It is vile. It is despicable. It is disgusting. It is worthless. And yet we're watching it play out. I do not find myself, as a, as a matter of course, Somebody who looks at Trump and goes, oh, poor baby. He makes life difficult for himself. But anybody who can look over the last seven years and say, oh, yeah, this made sense. You're out of your head. You're out of your mind. You're sick. You're, you think Trump deserved this, these lies over seven years? You're, you're, you're a fraud of a person. To think that Trump is perfect, well, that, of course, is not true. That's silly, and he makes things worse for himself every single day. And what will happen out of this indictment? Well, we'll see, and I'm going to dig into it with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, coming up in a little bit. But I stand firm on my statements, and I'll say it anywhere, and I'll say it at any time, and I'll say it to anyone, and there are a lot of people who need to hear it nose to nose because no one is ever honest with them. If you believe in prosecuting Trump, but you don't believe in prosecuting Hillary Clinton... You don't actually believe in America. You either believe in the rule of law or you don't. And that's all there damn well is to it. I'm Tony Katz. People forgot about the case of Jordan Neely. He was the guy on the New York subway who was choked to death by Daniel Penny. But Daniel Penny didn't go on that subway looking to kill somebody. Jordan Neely was threatening people everywhere. Jordan Neely was acting in a way that people described as violent, and they were worried for their safety. 
Penny saying that the man stumbled on, he appeared to be on drugs, the doors closed, and he ripped his jacket off and threw it down at the people sitting next to me at my left. I was listening to music at the time. I took up my headphones to hear what he was yelling. The three main threats that he repeated over and over again were, I'm going to kill you, I'm prepared to go to jail for life, and, quote, I'm willing to die. So this guy is threatening other passengers. This Daniel Penny, who served in the Marines, decides to subdue him uses a what's known as a rear naked choke if you're thinking of it in UFC terms that was caught on video and nearly died but as daniel penny says some people say i was holding i was uh holding on to him for 15 minutes but that is not true he says between stops is only a couple of minutes, so the whole interaction lasted less than five minutes. You can see in the video there's a clear rise and fall of his chest indicating that he's breathing. I'm trying to restrain him from being able to carry out the threats. A medical examiner rules that Neely died of, quote, compression of the neck. I was amazed at the numbers of people who were just simply okay with, well, look, weird things happen on, on, a, on a subway. You just got to deal with it. Weird people on a subway. You know what you can do? Just move to another car. Move to another car. This guy's having mental issues. He needs help. And your advice to people is, eh, just walk away from the crazy dude. Let him suffer on his own. It's a weird take. It's a weird take indeed. Do I think that this guy, Daniel Penny, should be charged with murder? No, I don't. Do I think that the people on that train clearly thought they were under threat? Yes, I do. Do I want to excuse a guy threatening people on a train? No. What of his mental condition, his mental health? What do you want me to say? It's an excuse for threatening people. I have to live in fear on the subway because you're having a mental condition. I'm sorry. I don't think it should work that way. If you want to argue he needed help, that's fine by me. I'm not going to tell you not to argue that. But my gosh, I don't think people should have to be subjected to it. Oh, no, no, no. You can't do anything. He's having mental issues. You just have to take that. Not an argument as far as I'm concerned. If did he really die of the of the choke? Is the medical examiner wrong? I don't know. But people have to ask themselves what we're going to accept in a society in this society. People are having issues and everyone else has to just take it, live in fear. It's not actual living, now is it? What is the real case that uh, the DOJ has against Donald Trump? And can Trump beat the rap? Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson breaks it down next. This is Tony Katz today. Thirty-seven counts, forty-nine pages of indictment. Is any of it going to stick? I mean, how does one 
beat the rap when it's very clear the entire government is focused against you, which is a very wholly un-American thing. Tony Katz, good to be with you, Tony Katz, today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. William Jacobson joins me right now, William Jacobson of LegalInsurrection.com, Cornell Law Professor, and I bring up to you, uh, William Jacobson, the idea that before we get to the the attacks on Trump, before we get to the no um, view of, of what Hillary Clinton has done, no conversation of Joe Biden, Donald Trump has to get through this. So first, you looked at the indictment, the 37 pages, uh, or 49 pages of indictment, 37 counts. What does this indictment say to you? How bad, in your legal opinion, is it? Well, let's keep in mind it's an indictment. So it's the evidence or some of the evidence that the prosecutors presented to the grand jury. It's not all of the evidence. We don't know if the allegations there are true. These are prosecutors. Their goal is to get an indictment. So take everything that's in there as being subject to actual proof. So when they say Trump said something or did something, presumably they have a good faith ground for that. uh, But that's not the whole story. And I think that's particularly true with regard to the obstruction of justice charges. What you have is a uh, small number of snippets of things that Trump said that really there's no context to them. And a lot of them are, well, what if we didn't comply? What if we didn't play ball with them? Is that obstruction? Is that a client asking an attorney for an opinion? What was the attorney's opinion? Did the conversation go any further? So uh, particularly as to the obstruction, the indictment, while it rings loudly, um, I'm not sure if there's how much there is to it. You'd have to hear the testimony. Uh, The most troubling part of it is they say they have a recording of Trump uh, acknowledging that a document he was holding had never been declassified, and they allege it was about battle plans to invade another country. People are speculating that's Iran, uh, and that it was in some manner shown to people who were interviewing Trump. Uh, But it doesn't say in what manner. Were they able to read it? How close were they? So there's a lot there. There's certainly a lot there uh, that's shock and awe uh, and that takes this likely out of the realm of a hoax, out of the realm of Russia collusion. But how strong a case it is really remains to be seen. Uh, part of this this back and forth was, uh, you know, before we get into certain parts of uh, how you beat this, that you have lawyers saying that Trump asked them to destroy documents, that you have them on the record in this in this indictment uh, saying that we were asked to do this as, as just as a conversation of that's a hard one to overcome. I assume that's a hard no. one to overcome. We believe that the lawyers made it up. No, I think the question is, what was the actual full conversation? Were they asked to destroy documents? Was it? a question that Trump asked. And certainly, you know, you could have a nod and a wink to do that. Did they actually do it? What was the conversation? So we only have little pieces. And again, it's probably enough to sustain the indictment, but whether it's enough to sustain a conviction, what did the attorneys think they were being told to do? Did they think they were being told to destroy documents? Or was this Donald Trump just being Donald Trump again? Uh, bragging about how, look, Hillary got away with it. Her people destroyed all 30,000 pages of documents. So 
I think that there's enough there to sustain the indictment, but we really need to know the full context. Uh, if Trump was suggesting that, if he was suggesting that documents be destroyed, did the attorneys actually do it? Is this more of an attempted in, uh, you know, uh, obstruction of justice as opposed to an actual obstruction of justice? There's a lot in the indictment about the moving of boxes. A tremendous of- amount. You know, uh, but there's no allegation in there that I recall. You know, it is 49 pages. I've read it multiple times, uh, but there's none that I recall that he had actual knowledge that there were documents in the boxes that were moved that were the subject of the subpoena. We maybe he did. Maybe someone will testify to that. But the mere moving of boxes, while it certainly is suggestive of misconduct, doesn't actually prove that it was part of a plan to obstruct justice. So that's what I'm saying. This is an indictment that comes across as a very uh, public relations oriented document. They knew there would be you know, fury from Team Trump, from Trump himself, from Trump supporters. So they felt they needed to put more in there. But I'm not sure they've put enough in there to actually prove their case as opposed to getting past the hurdle of sustaining an indictment. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Let me share this with you. This is Congressman Jim Jordan uh, referring to the case as he has been uh, for a while now, uh, Navy versus Egan, 1988 uh, Supreme Court case. Uh, Listen to this on CNN. Again, Dan, the standard is the standard. The president of the United States, he can classify and he can control access to national security information however he wants. That's the standard. That's the Constitution. That's what the court said in Navy versus Egan, a 1988 case. I don't know how many more he, times I can say it. Okay, so but, if he wants to store if he wants to store material in a box in in a bathroom, if he wants to store it in a box on a stage, he can do that. That is the that that is just what the law and the standard is. That's so not, again, I think this just underscores how political this whole thing is Jack Smith I mean, you know how political it is when they selected Jack Smith as a special counsel. I actually said in a deposition with Jack Smith, we deposed him on May 29th, 2014, because he was looking to prosecute people who were targeted by Obama's IRS, people Lois Lerner was going after. Sir. We can get into the conversation. Was Jack Smith uh, playing the part of Beria, show me the man and I'll show you the crime, just find anything as opposed to following the facts but i want to go back to this first part this what what congressman jordan is is putting forth as as an idea is that literally the taking of the documents is the declassifying of the documents which is an argument that's that's been made and it doesn't matter where he had the documents you may not like it but it doesn't necessarily make it illegal from what congressman jordan is saying there is is that a defense Well, I I don't know the answer to that, and I'm not going to get out over my skis on that. That's a claim that has been made by the Trump side. There are other people who say that's nonsense as a matter of law and that the case that they cite really isn't on point. It's a different thing. So I don't know if that's valid, but there is supposedly a recording of Trump telling these reporters or people interviewing him that I've got this document. I could have declassified it, but I didn't. So I don't know how that's going to hold up as a factual matter, whatever the law is. Just getting back for a moment on this obstruction of justice, one of the key pieces of evidence in the indictment is an affidavit submitted by Trump's lawyer, 
with regard to the collection of records. And what the affidavit said is based on information provided to me, et cetera, et cetera. All documents have been diligently searched, et cetera. And they're saying that's a false affidavit, but they're ignoring the part of the affidavit that said, based on the information provided to me. Uh, if you're a prosecutor, if you're uh, you know, the D Justice Department and a lawyer says, you, you ask for an affidavit of compliance with the subpoena and the lawyer says, well, based on what I've been told we complied, that lawyer may be actually making a truthful statement based on what that lawyer has been told there's been compliance. Uh, why didn't the Justice Department go back to the lawyer and say, hey, this is not good enough. We need an affidavit uh, or a declaration by a person with knowledge as to what was done. So the key piece of evidence, which is a supposedly false affidavit, may literally be true that based on the information provided to the lawyer, there had been compliance. And so a lot of things in this affidavit, in the uh, indictment that sound really, really horrible may be subject to attack. There is, in your voice, in, in, in your conversation, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, uh, check out his site, LegalInsurrection.com, and the foundations that he runs about educational freedom and critical race theory. You can find it all there at LegalInsurrection.com. There is, within your, your, your voice, uh, in, in your presentation, um, the belief that maybe this rap is beatable that possibly Jack Smith, the special counsel, what the DOJ put together was the very best they could put together. But the truth is, it's not enough. If you are Trump's legal team, you feel confident going into that courtroom. He's surrendering on Tuesday. He's going to go into that courtroom. And if you do, why did some of his legal team resign on the spot the minute the indictment came out? Yeah, I don't know what the reason for their resignation was, so I, I can't speak to that. Uh, and certainly what I'm saying is that the indictment, which as an indictment is taken as, you know, the, the God's honest full truth may not be. It may be a slanted presentation that's going to require the you know, judicial system and Trump's defense to point out whether it's accurate. So I'm not making a prediction as to whether he can or cannot beat these charges. All I'm saying is that people are taking the indictment as if it's, you know, the gospel, as if there's there's no way to challenge it. And a lot of these things just on their face seem very questionable to me. Uh, some seem stronger, such as the supposed recording of him admitting he's showing someone a document that's not been declassified. Some of them in the indictment come out as maybe not as strong as they're claiming. And to me, that's particularly the obstruction of justice charges. Let's get to something William Barr said, the former attorney general under Donald Trump, in his view, this is all really, really bad for Trump. Listen. Well, it started out under the Presidential Records Act and, and the archives trying to re retrieve documents that Trump had no right to have. But it quickly became clear that what the government was really worried about were these classified and very sensitive documents. I was shocked by the degree of sensitivity of these documents and how many there were, frankly. And uh, so the government's agenda was to get those, uh, protect those documents and get them out. And I think it was perfectly appropriate to do that. It was the right thing to do. Uh, and I think the counts under the Espionage Act uh, that he willfully retained those documents are solid counts. Now, 
I, I do think we have to wait and see what the defense uh, says and, and, and what proves to be true. But I do think that even half what Andy McCarthy said, which is if even half of it is true, then he's toast. I mean, it's I mean, that's a that, that's, that's a statement saying that a guy is is toast. Uh, the, the, the feel out there is that this is much much stronger of a case than than people thought it it would be. Are you arguing that I shouldn't say it that way? Um, on a scale of one to ten, what is the uphill battle that the Trump legal team has ahead of them? Yeah, I can't put a number on it, but clearly, when you have the full force of the federal uh, Department of Justice coming after you, when they have called witnesses before a grand jury when they have made allegations that, as Bill Barr says, are very serious. You have an uphill fight in, for any defendant. Uh, you know, so uh, nothing I've said is a prediction of an outcome. It's really that there's a process that has to take place here. And that process will challenge a lot of the things that are in the indictment. And I think we need to, to let that play out. We should not take it as a foregone conclusion that the indictment is everything we need to know. We need to know more, like I've said, about these conversations. What else was said? We need and even, to know and even more about bar. the moving of boxes and what did Trump know at the time the boxes were moved. We need to know what the, you know, the affidavit, how that came about. Uh, so there's, all I'm saying is this poses a very serious threat. I think I said that on a prior show with you, that two things can be true at the same time, and they appear to be true, that Donald Trump has been unfairly targeted for seven years by every level of law enforcement. They have subjected him to a scrutiny that really nobody else has been subjected to. They have been trying to find a crime that he committed. It appears that some of the things in the indictment were things they found out as part of their investigation. So they wouldn't have been known but for the investigation. And those are all true. It's terribly uh, unfair to our nation as a uh, as a society to have an individual targeted and have their life subject to scrutiny in search of a crime. At the same time, we live in the real world and we live in the reality that whatever the feds found by virtue of that politically tainted investigation, they found the evidence is going to be it. And some of it, and many people have commented on this, is that Donald Trump appears to have handed them what they've been looking for for seven years. So, he, so he may have handed them an actual criminal charge here. Now, to to that end, uh, you know, and we did hear William Barr say, if this is true, if that is true, the other is true. I want to at least give credit where it's true. One of the other people indicted is a guy by the name of Walt Nauta, N A U T A. I believe I'm pronouncing it properly. Uh, Donald Trump's valet. Uh, the whole purpose of indicting Nauta is to see how much pressure you could put on him, how much you could squeeze him to give up this, that, and the other. This guy is the sacrificial lamb to trying to get Trump. I mean, from an outsider looking in, holy cow, is that an ugly thing to do to a guy? Yeah, I mean, but that happens all the time in prosecutions, in investigations. They try to squeeze somebody. They try to tell them, look, you can either help us and tell us what you know, or you're facing 25 years in jail. And 99.9% of people will succumb to that pressure. Happens all the time, whether it's good or bad, ethical or not, it happens all the time. It's the choice defendants have to make. So it seems to be, they don't really want to put, you know, Trump's body man uh, who moved boxes in jail, uh, 
maybe they do want to, but that's not the point of this whole indictment. Mm -hmm. The point is to get him to flip, to get him to uh, give them more than they already have. And the fact that they felt the need to name him uh, and to indict him and to try to flip him may be an indication they need a little bit more than they actually have. William Jacobson, LegalInsurrection.com. Thank you. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Jack Daniels won its poop suit. I, I didn't really need to do this story. I just wanted to say that on air. It's a heavy day. I needed to lighten it up somehow. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Supreme Court siding with Jack Daniels in a trademark fight. Uh, with a company that makes uh, dog chew toys, and they made one uh, called uh, Bad Spaniels, the old number two, and it's in the shape of a, a Jack Daniels uh, bottle, and uh, they make a lot of poop jokes uh, on, on, on the toy. And so Jack Daniels was like, hey, you know, cute and all, but it's too much like ours, and so it's a trademark violation. And the poop toy people were like, you know, uh, come at us. And, um, well, the next thing you know, it's a unanimous ruling. The justice is sending back to a lower court the case, testing the line between trademark protections and free speech rights. Uh, It's awesome that the Supreme Court had to hear this. It's just awesome. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today.